I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. This morning's scripture is Genesis 19, 1 through 29. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. He said, Please, my lords, turn aside your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you can rise early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the square. But he urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast, and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all of the people down to the last man, surrounded the house, and they called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, so we may know them. Lot went out of the door to the men, and shut the door behind him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Look, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Let me bring them out to you, and do them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they replied, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came here as an alien, and he would play the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. They then pressed the heart against the man, Lot, and came near the door to break it down. But the men inside reached out their hands and brought Lot into their house with them and shut the door. And and they struck with blindness the men who were at the door of the house, both small and great, so they were unable to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, daughters, sons, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out to this place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Get up, 
take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or else you will be consumed in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and left him outside the city. When they had brought him outside, they said, Flee for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the hills, or else you will be consumed. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords, your servant has found favor with you. And you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot flee to the hills, for fear the disaster will overtake me and I die. Look, that city near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to them, Very well, I grant you this favor too, and will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the city was called Zor. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down upon Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and saw the smoke of the land going up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of plain, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out to the midst of the overthrow. Well, today we make our way all the way to the Ninth Commandment. And since I know you know which commandment is the Ninth Commandment, you've got them all memorized in order, of course. I'm sure when you came to the Ninth Commandment as well, you were just as confused as I am. The Ninth Commandment writes, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. But wasn't there already another commandment about lying? It was the third commandment, right? Where we talked about those lies we tell ourselves. Why, why couldn't we just tuck this one in with the other one and just make an all-out sweeping ban on lying, right? Not, not to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to your neighbor. Just don't lie. One third-century Franciscan friar, Ramon Lull was, was so certain that, that these two should be combined that he went as far as to rewrite the Ten Commandments altogether, physically relocating the Ninth Commandment just after the Third Commandment. He was so convinced 
of it, he decided he knew better than God and he rewrote it. But, but, but while this commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, has, has been one we've traditionally associated with lying, there are many reasons to conclude that Friar Lowell was wrong. Throughout this series together, we have discovered that the Ten Commandments are each just this extreme case of a broader moral principle, right? Lying, yes, is a sin. First of all, against ourselves, something that that we do in order to get out of trouble or to gain some kind of advantage. But it's not always necessarily out of spite, right? Or it's not always out of malice against our neighbor that we lie. And yet the ninth commandment falls within this string of commandments all wrapped up in one single verse, Exodus 20, 13. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not, you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. These commands all in one breath. It's this fourth in a series of thou shalt nots that we've learned are not as much about our inner selves as, as the first five commandments are, so much as they are about the postures that we take with others. And so what is it about this false witness that merits putting it alongside these other values of, of life, you shall not murder? And of love, you shall not commit adultery. And of freedom, you shall not steal. What is it that makes false witness stand up to life and love and freedom? The ancient rabbis would say that the the false witness attacks not only the, the victim, but the entire community. Notice that it's here in the ninth commandment where where we first encounter this phrase, your neighbor, in which the human is represented not just as an individual, but as a part of the collective, as a part of the neighborhood. Mr. Rogers would like this. The earliest rabbis for whom these commandments would have been life would have identified the false witness as the definitive destroyer of communal life. But to truly understand the ninth commandment today, we'll need to take a a closer look at the meaning of community, right? And how this false witness strikes at the very heart of it. Think for a second about your reputation. What, what do others think about you? Or, or what do you think others think about you? There is something about our reputation that feels somewhat out of our control, something that precedes us, this, this kind of veil of pre-existing impressions, some false, some true, that people already have about us. And a good reputation has this way of turning people toward us instinct, instinctively, as if they, they have been waiting for us all along, but a bad reputation, it makes it nearly impossible for others to accept us. Our reputation is like this force field that surrounds us, extending far beyond ourselves, reaching people's minds before we get there and and remaining long after we're gone, 
reputation is our presence within the human community. And from childhood, we are told to ignore it. Ignore what other people think about you. You make sure you are good and right in your own eyes or, or in the eyes of God, but, but it doesn't matter what others think of you. But, but anyone who has tried to run a business or start a social club of any kind or run for office or otherwise play an active role at all in the community knows that success depends a large degree on one's reputation for honesty and effectiveness and quality of work. In society, where people work together to achieve larger goals, the protection of reputations is very is, is every bit as crucial, if not more, as the protection of property, right? Community depends on mutual responsibility and hospitality, which in turn depends on mutual trust, which in turn depends on reputation. And so by fostering a culture of assuming and propagating the worst in each other, the false witness threatens the core of community. Have you heard this phrase before, assuming the worst? Perhaps you've heard it as its opposite, assuming the best. Assume the best intentions of your neighbor or of your friend. This week, the Kingstown leadership team gathered uh, and, and we wrote a covenant together for the year. And the very first thing we all agreed needed to be at the top of that covenant was always assume the best intentions in each other. What a holy, good, and gracious posture to live by, right? And, and at this, we begin to get at the heart of the ninth commandment. The Bible is deeply aware of the incredible power each of us has to assume the worst and tear down and destroy trust and respect between one another. And, and so the ninth commandment isn't as much a prohibition against lying as it is against that self-serving stream of negative stories about others that seems to flow endlessly from the mouths and thoughts and pens of so many of us. And God knew how destructive this was, how divisive it could be. This kind of posture was abhorred and condemned in Jewish society. The ancient rabbis had no time for it, no energy for it. Quoting Proverbs 6, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to God, and one is a brethren sowing discord among brethren. In the ninth commandment, God is saying, stop always assuming and propagating the worst about your fellow humans. Your cynicism only eats away at the foundations of society. Instead, take on postures of good intention and generosity and hospitality, advancing the reputation of your neighbors. Which brings us to our scripture today. Did you hear it as Kenny read it for us this morning? I wonder if you have heard it before. In our scripture today, we meet uh, two angelic messengers. And they meet Lot at the gateway and they desire to spend the night in the town square. And so Lot, knowing that the cities are filled with wicked people and desiring to assume the very best in these travelers, desiring to show hospitality and offer generosity, insists that the messengers stay with him in his home 
Late in the evening, though, men from the cities arrive at Lot's door, demanding that the messengers come outside so that they can rape them. Astonishingly, unimaginably, Lot refuses to send the messengers and instead offers his daughters to the mob instead. This is a horrific, horrible, horrible story that concludes with angelic messengers making the mob blind and allowing Lot and his family to escape before they called down God's judgment through fire and brimstone on this city. I wonder if you've heard this story before. And I wonder in in what context you have heard it. I wonder if you've personally witnessed how a story like this, how it, it can be ripped apart in an effort to bear false witness, to assume the worst and to tear down people in the beloved community. For a millennia, uninformed readers of this text have tied the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah to that mob of men's desire to have sex with the messengers sent to Lot's house. So much so that it is from this text that the word sodomy was birthed. And yet nearly every modern theologian and scholar of this text, both both traditionally minded and LGBTQ affirming, argue that the sins for which Sodom was judged was not sodomy or homosexuality, but for the city's complete lack of generosity of spirit and hospitality, for for the community's complete inability to honor the ninth commandment. In the ancient Near East, the code of hospitality was at the core of their conceptions of morality. Even, Even in Middle Eastern culture today, radical hospitality and generosity of spirit and intent is an integral part of the cultural expression. As we read about the affairs in ancient Sodom in in the book of Genesis, we learn that, that the people of these cities were proud and were selfish and were self-indulgent. They cared only about their own needs and reputations. They did not care about the needs and reputations of others. They were cynical, they were hard-hearted, and they were ready to, to, to believe the worst and do the worst as a result of having assumed the worst. And, and this would have stood in stark contrast to the code of hospitality for most Middle Eastern cultures, which instructs people to welcome travelers and foreigners with open arms. In this story, Lot representing the code himself, welcoming the men and cooking them a meal and ensuring their safety. And though the prophet Ezekiel clearly declares the sin of Sodom by saying, behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom, that she and her daughter had pride and excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. Still, even with that, still the worst is assumed of this text, doing deep harm to the community of God, even today, especially to our LGBTQ siblings of faith. What we know of the ninth commandment is that God is saddened and angered by this. Anytime, anytime we forsake the good for the assumption of the worst, anytime we do damage 
to the neighborhood by our cynicism and our selfishness and our bent toward assuming the worst of our friends and our family and our fellow congregants and our community leaders instead of offering them goodness and hospitality and generosity of spirit that God is always offering us, that God uses to redeem all of us. We often think that community is something we participate in, members of something we benefit from. But the point of the ninth commandment is that community begins not with involvement, but with responsibility. Community is alive in the redemptive self, and it turns us outward beyond us to not just love what we know and what we love, but to care and to nurture and to protect and to assume the best in our fellow humanity. For thousands of years, the Jewish people faced an almost inhuman pressure to, to create cohesive, successful communities. And in every age, the Jewish people felt a need to protect their communal life, to help one another, to assume the best in each other, to develop attitudes and institutions that made sure that every member survived with dignity and identity intact. And the result was this powerful sense of communal responsibility. And so the ninth commandment teaches us that we are to be about protecting and defending and advancing the whole of the community and every individual in it as if it were our own. This is what it means to build a good and a just society not just to involve ourselves, but to take responsibility for the reputations of others, for, for the reputations of our schools and our courts and our cities and our broader societies and our nations and anything else that we love about ourselves and share with others. And all of this begins with this basic attitude toward those around us, especially those we disagree with. It's fundamentally a part of ourselves. I offer this to you in the name of God the Father, in the name of Christ his Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me today? God, you have made us for community, inherent in who you are, and therefore inherent in who we were created to be is this this relationship, this desire for relationship, this, this, this purpose in relationship. And yet the cynicism of our world has crept in and we so often assume the worst in our neighbors, in our friends, in our coworkers, and those are, those are the people that, that, that are close to us that we see often, but, but how much worse it is, God, when we assume the worst in those who are different from us. People we don't understand and therefore we assume the worst. God, forgive us and free us for joyful obedience to you today, God, that we may be people of, of goodness and hospitality and generosity of spirit. 
so that you may build your kingdom here on earth using us. We join together in that prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us those trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you now into a posture of giving today. Thank you for continuing to give to the mission and ministry of the Kingstown Communion. And as you give, would you, would you do it in a spirit of generosity and hospitality, of goodness, of heart and intention? And would you do it as, as a way to honor God today? Make for yourself a car of damage. You shall not take a name.